right, everybody, welcome back to the Digital Dive Podcast. My name is Darsh. I am one of your co-hosts, as well as our amazing, our fabulous YouTuber, Jacqueline from NBT Jacqueline. <laughs> I feel like every single time I'm going to start this now, when I'm leading in, I'm just going to be making sure to like gas you as much as I can. Like, just make sure like I'm gassing you up. Yeah, like literally <laughs> bring my ego up to an all-time high. Of course. Um, Dude, thanks. It's been uh, kind of not that long since we recorded last week. It's actually insane. It's like, so Jack and I were just talking about this before we started recording. Like the timeline we've been taking for the past couple of weeks where we've just been planning, recording, going through revisions with Luke, and then posting, and then recording again. It's like literally there's no break. There's no time for any lag. It's everything's just happening. A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D. It's like we're on like a hamster wheel. Like legit, like we're enjoying it, but it's like Darsh and I will post. I, I think we posted a video yesterday. We'll link it like below if you want to check it out. It's all about 5G and the state of it in 2020. So you post that video and then I am send Darsh to Google Doc and I'm like, all right, we need to come up with four more topics. And like, that's the other thing. Like we need to make sure that we have interesting topics every single week for the episodes because we never want to just like post 40 minutes of garbage no exactly exactly so like just like, there's always so much going on but like as much of it as much as it is fun i do miss just general episodes like this one where we're kind of just talking to each other on zoom and like there's no cameras on i feel a lot more relaxed yeah. <laughs> i don't have to keep my back so straight make sure i have the best posture ever because i definitely do not have the best posture ever just on a regular basis it's it's a different level of chill darsh and i are doing uh like a guest appearance episode what is it tomorrow no uh two days from now today's thursday when we're recording yeah and it's a video and darsh and i were like saying how when we get asked to like be on something and it's audio only, we're like, yes, like this is amazing. I'm so here for it. But it's like when it's video, it's like I'm still down to do it. It's just like it adds an extra step. And especially if we're going on someone else's like platform to talk, we have to make sure to present ourselves in the best possible manner versus like presenting ourselves to you guys who are our most trusted audience ever. And if you are new, welcome to the Digital Live and our big community. Should you uh, leave us a five-star rating? Oh, I think Feels they should like... leave us a five-star rating. I think that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to lie to you. you should right now. I mean... Why not? Why just, not? Uh, do it. Just do it. Just do it in the background. Like just while you're, while we're talking, you know, just hope you're having a good day and uh, drop a five-star rating and, you know, maybe tweet at us. Say hi. Say hi. We always respond. Yeah. Digital Dive Pod. Every single person who tweets at us for like, I say 98% of them, we respond. Yeah, I agree. We also ask oftentimes like, oh, like, what do you want to hear about? And a couple people or more than a couple people actually responded. They wanted to hear us kind of like give updates on the M1 chip and talk all things Apple and uh, some other stuff. So this episode is kind of jam-packed. I think we should start with some Apple news updates. 100%. And I will throw that to you, Darsh. Give us a rundown. All right. So as I am an Apple fanboy, and if you guys want to see Apple fanboy merch, please let me know because I will happily create it. <laughs> I've been thinking about it for so long, but I kind of I kind of want to pull the trigger and just do it. Anyway, so a couple of things. So for one, Apple's taxes have now increased when it comes to like the creators for small businesses. So on the App Store, the tax is now going to be fifteen percent instead of thirty percent for small businesses. I thought it was pretty interesting. Jacqueline, what are your what are your thoughts on this? If you can explain a little bit more, I feel like you have a better idea of this than I do. I think that was pretty good though, Darsh. But so basically a big thing with Apple is that when you are in their app store, whether it be like selling a service or selling a paid app, they take a cut. Oh, it's like the Fortnite issue, the entire the huge Fortnite issue. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So this is like a little different just because they've reduced it. So they've basically cut the tax rate in half for small businesses but there's a bit of a caveat here that like the profit margin doesn't go up you would expect maybe as like an uneducated business person for it to go up by 15 percent but in reality i think it goes from like 15 percent to 21.5 percent or, or something like that like the the change is not huge i guess it, it's still a big difference and it shows i think that apple cares a little bit about developers but i'm kind of in the party at, with like the, the whole fortnite thing and just in general of like one of the biggest benefits of Apple is the closed platform. They vet all the applications. They make sure that like you're not getting scammed when you like buy a subscription, like there's customer support, et cetera. So yeah. because of that, 
companies can't really sell subscription-based services outside of the Apple ecosystem. Well, I think what Fortnite tried to do. Yeah, that was the issue. Yeah. Right? So uh, because of that, Apple takes a cut and they kind of control the platform. So it's not really like you can do anything about it since they're so major. So this is like kind of a good move. I think a lot of people were happy about it. And then there was also some people being like, oh, it's not enough. But again, like Apple's providing you the audience to sell your service to. So the flip side of that is kind of like this, right? So essentially what Apple's done is saying like, okay, if you're going to put your app on my app store, if you're going to charge someone something like some type of money and it's me going through me and I'm going to be run, running and processing that transaction, I deserve a cut of it, which I I can understand that. It's like the same thing as paying with like Visa or like paying with a credit card in a store. Yeah. The Visa company, the credit card companies are going to take a cut out of everything you make. That's why a lot of businesses, small businesses especially, would prefer if you pay, if you actually end up paying cash because paying cash means there's no extra service fee. It's just straight going to them versus taking a cut. But the things with Fortnite and stuff like that is they've essentially added the Apple tax on top of it. Yeah. So like say that battle pass for Fortnite was $12, they'd charge you 15 because they know that Apple's going to take a cut out of it and they want to make sure that they still have some money. They have pretty much the same revenue coming in. So when they say, okay, yeah, buy it online and then come back, that makes it a little bit more like, okay, like if you want a cheaper price, go online because it's going to be cheaper online. And I kind of understand where that comes from too because like sometimes you don't want to really spend a ton of money in an app, especially if it's something you, like you're not sure if you're going to have forever, right? Yeah. It's it's interesting the way Apple has done this though because going back to the entire thing of like you're, they're running the service and they're giving you the opportunity to be on the platform. So many people have found it kind of controversial because they're essentially saying that Apple is now running a monopoly on the app, like the app store. So is Google. And because they're now running a monopoly on it, they really set the terms of pricing and they set the terms for everything. So it's not really government regulated. They become the government. So it's a very interesting topic. Definitely nuanced like that. Um, I could see both sides, but at the end of the day, like Apple's providing the users. So I feel like they should get a cut of that. Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. It's kind of complicated since I feel like technology has advanced so much quicker than rules and like, government regulations and stuff. And a lot of people that maybe are making those rules don't fully understand like just social media and like apps or et cetera. But I think it's kind of a cool move. And I just um, looked a little more into it. And it's basically small business. It's defined as like making up to a million a year annually in revenue. So obviously that won't apply to like Fortnite or some of like the big, big, like oh, yeah. players in the industry, but oh yeah, oh yeah. But like for a company like a camera editing app or something, where like they're selling like presets for like five dollars or something, and maybe like they're making a million and it's like a photographer or something, like this will help them a lot. So, kind of a cool move. And not so good news. Apple's also been in the news for having to probably settle for some battery gate issues. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if you remember this. I remember this vividly because immediately I went and got my parents' iPhones, my iPhones, and my sister, my brother, everyone's iPhones in the family. We all got, got our batteries replaced. So basically a couple of years ago, Apple was accused with throttling down the performance of a phone after every software update to maintain battery life. So essentially what it is, is every year, whenever the new software comes out, Apple would essentially send in a little bit of code that would say to your phone, slow down the performance a little bit so the battery lasts a little bit longer. But there was nothing of this said anywhere, ever. Like they'd never talked about it. It was not in the terms and conditions, nothing. So people are getting kind of cheesed because they're like, okay, we didn't consent to this. Like we bought a phone, we spent the money on it and now you're making it worse so we buy a new one. That doesn't make any sense. And Apple's fighting for it saying, no, 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 like we're trying to make sure that your battery life is still still good so you can get to the day. But they're like, my battery life isn't good. <laughs> so if my battery life is not going to be good from the get-go, even after you're doing this, I'd rather send my performance back, which actually is a very, very good point to make. So Apple's now settling. It's not officially confirmed yet, but for $113 million settlement with I think it was 43 states. That's kind of like lower than I thought it was going to be. I know that's like a ton of money, but the amount of users it impacted was vast. It affected everyone. It literally affected everyone. Like if you yeah. have a if you have a phone or a computer or anything from 2017 that's from Apple, the odds of them throttling down your performance is huge. And they weren't offering anything to fix it 
up until they were actually accused. And they're like, okay, yeah, battery replacements are going to be $29 instead of the 130 they were asking for. Yeah, it's kind of a lot. I'm glad that they made it, like, reduced it. I kind of feel like it should always be $29. I don't know, like, what the economic implications of that would be, but I feel like if you have a phone for, like, a certain amount of time, the battery should last. I would say, like, for, like, that two years, three-year mark. And I've personally experienced it on my phone, like, with less than ideal charge habits of constantly charging it to 100, like, the battery definitely depreciates really quickly. Oh, yeah, 100%. And the big thing is, too, not even just that the battery depreciates, but over time, the performance of the phone should stay the same. And yeah. when the $29, the issue with it is they're essentially offering the batteries at cost, from my understanding. So like they're not making any profit on the batteries. Like they're literally like, okay, like we're gonna just, we're just gonna pay for the labor behind it. And we're going to front the, like the only thing you have to pay for is the cost to actually build a battery. Yeah. And then they're yours or something like that. So that's why like, I feel like it's not going to stay at $29. Probably not. Yeah. But it's very interesting the fact that they did that at all. And I know a lot of people benefited from it, including myself and my, my family. I'm happy they did that. But the fact that they are settling for $113 million, $113 million is no small amount yeah, of money. No. And they probably thought that like no one would ever figure it out. So they're probably like, oh, like $113 million, Like, come on. Oh, yeah. As much as they tried to deceive the rest of the world and everyone fully knew about about it after the fact like they still are only going to take a 113 million dollar cut like that's not as bad as you'd expect yeah taking they spent four billion dollars on their headquarters in california oh my gosh and part of the reason was because they essentially made it so that the entire headquarters isn't actually sitting on the ground the headquarters is freaking sick that was worth the money that was like it's insane it's so worth the money but like but like think about it so they have four billion dollars to spend on an office space that Especially right now during COVID, no one is in. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's very, very interesting to see. It's very, very interesting to see. Apple's been kind of doing like a lot of interesting things lately. They've been a lot more interested in like the creator space. I don't know if you saw that Peter McKinnon had like a couple Apple guys on the podcast. No, I didn't see that. I, did, I saw the Zach King TikTok though. Oh yeah, they did that too. you see too. that? Yeah, I did see that actually. That was sick. Yeah, it, was, it's, it wasn't even an ad. It was just an Apple TikTok and it was like, it was Zach King and he was basically miniaturizing everything in his life and then he miniaturized his iPhone 12. Sick. So cool. I'm like, that's pretty cool. That's pretty, that's pretty, pretty sick. Like, I, I kind of like that. That was actually a very, very good way to involve creators as well. Yeah. I think it's like so cool that Apple, obviously, I don't think that they're doing like sponsorships and stuff really with creators because like they kind of feel like they don't need to, in my opinion. They don't need to whatsoever. So many people want to work with Apple that almost like if one person like was going to charge them, then they would just use someone else. I could be wrong about that, but that's kind of like the take that I get from them as a company. But I've worked with them in the past and just like getting review units and stuff for the channel and they've been amazing. Like Apple? Yeah. Oh wow. I didn't even I didn't know you were getting uh, units from Apple. That's sick. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah, not like uh every time obviously, but the iPhone 12 Pro that I'm reviewing right now is from Apple. That's sick. Yeah. That is absolutely sick. And this, I want to make clear to everyone listening right now, like it does not influence the opinion at all on the channel. Like you actually sign an agreement with every company, like for the most part, that like it's going to be an editorial piece and like I've reviewed plenty of products that have been sent to me that like just get slammed on the channel so yeah no they've been like nothing but professional the people that work there are really nice very thorough they answer questions like they were on a tight ship there and you can tell it like pays off but it's oh yeah it's been cool like seeing them like come on peter mckinnon's podcast yeah like, have uh people come on marquez's channel like you literally get the opportunity now as being a creator like working with everyone because they realize how valuable it is for their marketing yeah because everyone's watching all these different creators. Marquez's channel did 100 million views in a month. Okay, Marquez is also one of the most identifiable tech YouTubers to date. Agreed. In my apartment with my roommates, none of them know any tech YouTubers beside Marquez Brownlee. And they know him as Marquez Brownlee. Like, not even MKBHD, they just know him as Marquez Brownlee, the guy who reviews tech, 
who does the really cool videos. People love him, like rightfully so. I mean, I love him too. Like he's awesome. But yeah, no, like 100 million views is unreal. Like I'm, I'm so impressed with them and like proud of them. And I was listening to the podcast where they were talking about it, and I thought they said something really interesting, which was like all year, like when you're like figuring out your workflow and stuff, you're basically prepping for October. You're like figuring out like how to be most efficient with videos, how to have the team work efficiently. And then in October, it's like a sprint. And I related to that a lot because Techtober. Yeah. And I'm working completely alone right now. So I'm doing everything with the videos. And I just did not get nearly as many videos up as I wanted to in October. And I was like, wow, like when he said that, I was like, yeah, that's so true. Like if I had maybe like planned out a better way to like film more efficiently or something, like I would have gotten more videos up. But honestly, for me right now, and I posted about this earlier on Twitter, the editing is taking forever. Like I love it, but it's. It's so, in, like, it actually takes forever. Like, I have two videos filmed right now. It's been three weeks since I posted it. it, it I've been editing this, like, Pixel 5 video for a really long time. Mm-hmm. It's paying off in the audience retention. Like, if I, like, look at my graphs, like, there's a huge difference from, like, this month to four months ago. But it's increased the editing by, like, tenfold. Literally, like, so my roommate's doing, he's starting a, a club at school, and he needed to do a video for it. And I was like, hey, like, I'm so down to do that video for you. Like, I will, like, I just want to make something really, really bad. I'll do all the work. Like I was like, I'll set up like professional, like video lighting, everything, audio, and I'll record it for you and I'll put it together and give it to you. And as much as it does take time to do stuff like that, it's so much fun. It feels so rewarding when you look at a finalized product and like the product just feels so, I guess, clean. I don't know. I just feel really, really rewarded every time I do something like that. Yeah. Do you think that you'll ever come back to making videos on like the Darsh Kathani channel? I hope so. The big issue with posting on my channel is by the end of the summer, like I was getting very, very good retention. I was getting a lot of views per video, especially a lot larger amounts. Basically, like everything that I had done to change my channel and make my channel more engaging for people was absolutely incredible. And it worked so well towards getting a larger audience. And my audience is still growing. Like in the past 28 days, I still have a thousand views on my channel. I haven't posted a video in three months. Wow. So for me, like normally around this time of year, I'll have maybe 100, 200 views in the past month. Okay. Just for a little, like after I I haven't like posted since the summer, because in the past three years that I've been in university every single semester that I go back after the summer I always find myself like not posting because I get so swamped with school and as much as I would love to start posting full-time again I definitely can't until the summer I, I'm gonna try next semester if I can get get on top of it make sure I have like a clear-cut schedule I'm gonna, I'm basically what I'm thinking is I'm gonna start making videos the same way I look at like school classes okay so I'm gonna like book out like a couple hours a week to to plan, record, and edit a video. And I'm going to treat it like a school assignment that's due every week. That's smart. I'm going to try doing like that because I didn't do that this semester, but I'm thinking next semester because I have a lot more autonomy with my schedule. I could do something like that and actually benefit a lot from it and like actually get a good schedule to keep me consistent and flowing it's almost like what we do with digital dive like oh yeah exactly no matter what we need to get the audio episode up monday whether it means staying up super late to like do revisions no matter what like we're getting that episode on monday even if like the video is not ready at the same time like that's why i've actually been so consistent with the podcast in comparison to my channel given like it's a lot less work obviously to do the podcast like you and i probably spend I don't know, maybe like six to eight hours a week on it. Like I, I would even say, I would even argue less. Some weeks when we do like just audio like this, it's going to be a pretty quick and pretty easy week. Yeah, probably like if, if it's an audio only, it takes us like an hour maybe to record and then like an hour or two to do like revisions and stuff. Oh yeah, no, that's if you were doing revisions, then yeah, I'd say five to six hours a week or six to eight hours a week. Yeah. Like that'd be pretty reasonable because we'd be listening to it over and over again. But I'm saying in general production time, it's not as bad. 
the thing with videos too is like as much as videos are fun to make, they take a lot of time to edit. And Luke just crushes it. Luke just crushes it and takes that all out of our hands. Like the most editing we're doing is color grading and adding all of our pieces together to make sure we can send it to him. Mm -hmm. And that's about it. Also, kind of an unforeseen perk. And then we'll get into M1 because I know a lot of people are like, why aren't you talking about the M1 update? But I just want to close the loop on this. Oh my goodness, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One of the unforeseen like perks of working with Luke as an editor is that when I edit a video and I'm like going through it and like, Definitely the same for you, Darsh. I know what I want to do and I just like do it. Like I'm like, all right, I think it'd be really cool like when I say like high refresh rate to like zoom in and like create impact. And I think it'd be really cool like to have a text, like if I say like crashing, to have the text like crash into the display or like something like that. Yeah. And I just know I want to do it. And I film it with the intention of doing that. And then sometimes like in the edit, I'll just have the intention of doing that. But what's really interesting is that when you look at a video, like this week, for example, with the high refresh rate video, I said to Luke, like for the beginning, when I say like high refresh rate, I want you to zoom in like by 20% every time I say it. And I thought it was just going to be for the intro. And I didn't like, I wrote like just for the, or, or I spoke it to the camera and I don't know if I specified just for the intro. I just kind of assumed that that's what he would do. But he ended up doing it every time we said high refresh rate. And it actually added in like a level of engagement that I never would have thought to do that. And it changed the whole clip. Like it looks so much better. And it's like, I texted him. I was like, oh my gosh, like, did you think that that's what I was saying? I wasn't even saying that, but like, I'm so happy you did. And he was like, yeah, I did. But I think it turned out well. And I was like, wow, like it really did. Like the unforeseen perk of working with an editor is that like they add their own flair and taste to it. Oh yeah. They weren't filming it when you were. They don't have the same emotional attachment to a shot or something. Like they're much more likely to like cut something or like take out all the fat type thing. So it's been actually really cool. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think working with Luke has honestly been so good for us to keep ourselves grounded and like keep everything going consistently and, you know, keeping up with our schedules. And speaking of schedules, I think it's about time we referred back to the M1, the Mac chip, the new sweet golden Mac chip <laughs> that Apple announced a week ago and give you guys a little bit of an update on it before we head for a break. Yeah, one week later now. By the time this episode goes up, it will be a little bit more. But when we're recording this, it's been... Like a week and a half, yeah, two weeks? it's been like one week. And there's been a lot of, a lot of news. Like, uh, we countless of our friends have the chip, have done tests with it. I'll be honest, like... A lot of it's been pretty mind-blowing. So, okay, so one of the things that I thought was amazing was the benchmark scores. So the MacBook Pro 13-inch with the single small fan was able to actually produce better benchmark scores than the 16-inch MacBook Pro. It's crazy. That's insane. And then the Mac Mini, same thing. The MacBook Air did better than the 16-inch MacBook Pro. Like, this chip is absolutely amazing. It's a beast. But there are some issues with it. And... That goes without saying, it's a first generation product. We're essentially back to square one. And Dave 2D said this best. He said, with any new product like this, we're essentially going back to square one. We're starting off again. And now the new MacBook Pro 13 inch with the M1 chip is now a first generation product, which is why the MacBook Pro 16 inch or even the new iMac, whenever that comes out, will be a second generation product and be a lot more reliable because we don't know what the long-term effects of using the M1 chip are as of yet. Yeah, we don't. There's been some implications of uh, it not working perfectly with all applications and stuff. And we could talk a little bit about like the specifics of that. But also, I think I just want to say like when Apple was presenting this, they did not really give like concrete data. Like they showed graphs and they weren't labeled and people were like, oh, like, yeah, I bet it's not going to be that huge of a difference. And I just want to say like Apple delivers a lot of the time and they delivered again. Like this is huge. I'm not going to buy anything right now, but it has me really excited for like the 16 inch MacBook Pro with the M1 oh, yeah. because that will be a lifesaver. And like right now I'm using the 2016 MacBook Pro still 15 inch Mm -hmm. and darcy remember last week we were talking about how like your keyboard was kind of acting finicky yeah my j key is broken i can't type anything with the word j in it like i was typing darsh i just need a minute and it literally it just didn't work it ended up being like ust 
and then it added like um, an accent mark on it. Like I didn't realize how often I use the letter J, but my name's Jacqueline, so I sign everything with a J. And <laughs> it's like that key's like just broken. No, exactly. And that's what I mean when I say like those keyboards, as great as they are, still have their downfalls. And honestly, as as great as I like the keyboards, I think the keyboards are really fun to use. That one downfall where the old keyboards, the old switches have that issue is it's detrimental. It really does affect your typing experience and your overall experience with your computer. And I know for a while for myself, I was using an external keyboard, like a wireless keyboard, just because like my keyboard wasn't actually working. I'm literally doing that. Yeah. When I had to send it in, I had to send it in for a week and I didn't have my computer for a week. It kind of parallels perfectly to what you were just saying of like the M1 is the first generation. This keyboard was the first generation. Yeah. In the same way that this keyboard had issues and they've kind of fixed a lot of them with like the 2020 16 inch MacBook Pro. I think that we'll see the same thing with the M1. Like we'll get fixed over time. But Darsh was just telling me about a video that he saw from one of our like longtime friends, Miles Somerville. Literally. So with his Final Cut Pro? Yeah. Like fill everyone in on what happened with that. Yeah. So basically Miles, he's an amazing, amazing YouTuber. He has his own channel as well as I believe he works for XDA or 9to5Mac. Something along those lines. He works for some... I think now he works for android police now he, he's worked everywhere yeah <laughs> he used to work for xda but i think now oh, no yeah he works for 95 you're right yeah so basically the thing about miles is he's a really talented creator and one of the things he's doing right now is checking out the mac mini now we mentioned this in the last episode too he's actually been using like he used to use a mac mini a lot when he when we knew him and we were talking to him consistently about youtube and stuff he was effectively using a mac mini as his main pc or his main computer now he switched over to an iMac, but now that the Mac Mini's back, he got it. He got it with the M1 chip and everything, and he's using it. He said, basically, the the use case of it was he was not getting any fan noise. It was the most quiet experience ever. But the issue he found was with like with extensions in the app itself. So M callouts, for example, in Final Cut Pro is a very commonly used callout and and very like an extra piece, extra extension to help you make your videos even cooler. I use it all the time. Exactly. So. When having that in Final Cut Pro, one of the things you need to make sure is that it actually still works with the new Macs, and it doesn't. Rosetta doesn't work for those extensions within those apps. So that's a very interesting revelation because that means, look, I was debating updating to the Mac Mini and being like, this would be great for my edits. I now knowing that I can't use M callouts or maybe any of the other extensions I use, I don't know exactly how I feel about that. It's kind of an issue. I, I couldn't update. The entire M suite, I've probably invested maybe like six to $800 in. Like I use it all the time in the videos for like transitions, text tracking, cool effects. Like literally I use it for so many different things that if I didn't have it, the videos would be significantly worse. And that already incredibly long editing would take me even longer. So that's kind of been something that I think is really important to consider. But I also think that we're going to see really quick updates. Like Marquez in his video was talking about an application that didn't work. Um, and I think like that day it got updated. So Pixelmator, literally Pixelmator got updated the same day he posted the video. I saw that on The Verge and I was like, this is absolutely hilarious. I watched this video like an hour ago and now it's up. It's updated. That's ultimately insane. That has me questioning, right? Like how is Rosetta really working? Because everyone's saying it's working fine with primary apps, like big apps. But what happens with the extensions and things inside an app? If Chrome wasn't updated, how would Chrome extensions work? Would they still be working well? Or is that already integrated into Chrome? Like, how does that all work? What are the other issues that we're going to end up facing with this M1 chip? Because it is still very, very new. It's Apple's first ever silicon in a Mac. Yeah, it's almost like only time will tell. Like if you're someone that like uses only like Apple applications like Safari, like if you just like mainly like take notes and like do email and stuff, like you're probably fine to upgrade. But like there's some weird applications, you know, like uh, if you're a musician and you use like MuseScore or like stuff like that, like who knows if those smaller applications that don't have huge resources like uh, Apple or like Adobe would like to update quickly, like who knows how those applications will run. So you're definitely taking a risk by going with M1. 
But I think, like, by Gen 2, like, if we see, like, a 16-inch, like, in the first half of 2021 or maybe, like, the second half, I think that, like, almost all the applications that you want to use will be ready to go. Oh, 100%. I think by that point, we should be at a good standing and we'd be able to actually have those updated apps that are actually working consistently and working well. It's just a matter of time. And honestly, like, the time isn't as big of a deal as you might think because as much as we do want to wait... It seems like updates for the M1 and for these apps are coming day by day. They're just rolling in at this point. It's just the developers needed that time to port it over. Yeah, dude, like if you're, if you are a Photoshop app, like let's say you're not actually Photoshop, but like you're something like that. Let's call you like uh, developer A Okay. and developer A and B, B is like also like a Photoshop type app. They both have a customer base. If you're developer A, it's super advantageous to become optimized on M1 faster because you'll get all that user base that can't use developer B. There's like incentives to update your applications to get new customers that maybe like we're using an app, like maybe M callout, someone will create an M callout optimized for M1 no, exactly. and they'll get all of like the new users. So it makes sense for companies to like quickly update so they don't like lose their customer base and also maybe to gain a new customer base. And it feels like they're kind of like Apple's all in on it. And when Apple like goes all in on something, like eventually it just, it happens for them. Like, you know, like they, they're all in on like the removal of the headphone jack. And like now the industry has changed with that. Like if they're all in on something, like because they're such a major company, like the change will happen. It just always, it's not always like the fastest thing in the world, but it's honestly been pretty quick because it's a brand new processor. No, exactly. It's pretty much like I was saying earlier when it said that Apple is basically like its own government in a sense, because it's created a whole new silicon. Now it's very much like, okay, so it's either you adapt or you don't survive. It's literally the theory. It's literally mechanisms of evolution. Sorry, I just did an entire psych paper on this. So okay, it's basically the mechanism of evolution here. So it's pretty much, it's either you're adapting to survive or you're being put extinct. And so if these companies want to stay alive, if these developers want to keep their apps alive, then they have to adapt and get better at it. And one of the things that we've been adapting to a lot recently, especially is with the cold weather. And as bad as cold weather may be, a cold brew still does hit the spot. Oh my I'm not gosh. Gonna lie. That was a good transition. I'm proud of it. <laughs> cold brew hits the spot. So does a nice cappuccino. So does a nice espresso. Any type of coffee right now, I urge every single one of you to go grab a coffee, take a break from us yelling in your ears for a second. Dude, someone uh, someone tagged me on a cold brew post. I tagged them on the one that I drink all the time and they tried it. Really? Yeah. And you know what? They did not like it, which was very disheartening for me and disappointing. But what I will say is they drink it at room temperature with no ice and no milk or sugar, which is like a recipe for disaster, you know? So that is a recipe for <laughs> actually I don't mind the I don't mind black, uh black cold brew, either. but as long as it has, it has to be ice. If, it has to be iced. If you are uh like avid coffee drinker, but if it's your first time trying coffee, which it was their first time, then you gotta you yes. gotta add a little milk and sugar. So I'm gonna implore you, as Darcia said, try coffee, but do it in the right way. Try it with some milk and sugar. Try it with some ice. And uh, let us know on Twitter. A lot of people have been tweeting at us that they've been trying it, which makes our hearts happy. So mm -hmm. if you're in the mood for a warmer drink, I have some recommendations as well. But you're going to hear about that after the break. So you have to stay. <laughs> Aha. All right. Got you there. <laughs> Be back in a sec, guys. Welcome back to the Digital Dive. Uh, hope you guys got a cold brew coffee. Uh, we don't discriminate here, except if it wasn't a cold brew, doesn't count. Okay, um, okay, okay. <laughs> we don't have to say that because you know what? I'm gonna put everyone on right now on the on my go-to holiday Starbucks drink. It is not. It is not a generic Starbucks holiday drink. It is just a drink that I have personally fell in love with, fallen in love with, and it's a hazelnut latte, but not any hazelnut latte. It is a blonde hazelnut latte with an extra shot of espresso because it 
becomes way too sweet if you don't put the extra shot in there. And it is absolutely fantastic. It's my favorite holiday time drink because it's so sweet, has the hazelnut in it. So if you are not allergic to nuts and you can have hazelnut, try it. It's actually fantastic. Do they put like milk in it? Like, is that a dumb question? Probably, right? Yes, it's a latte. So they put milk in it. That was so dumb. Like, do they put hazelnut milk or like, is it like... No, 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 no. It's, It's normal milk, but it has hazelnut syrup in it. Okay. And the hazelnut syrup in itself is very sweet. But if you are lactose intolerant or you can't have milk, uh, they do have the other options because it is. We're covering all the bases right now. Yeah, no, we're literally covering all the bases when it comes to coffee. This is like, this is honestly, this is a lot of what I talk about with a lot of my friends. I just try to put them onto different types of coffee. I just think it's fun. Someone uh, texted me the other day that they like love pumpkin cream cold brew, and they like. I heard about that. I haven't. I heard about that. I haven't tried it either, but it's not on the menu anymore. Oh my gosh, what? I it's missed not, it? It's, it's, it's November now, so now it's oh, all holiday drinks. That's so it's sad. It's the end of November. Oh my goodness, take this. It's the, almost the end of the year. It's November. Today's November 19th. It is almost the end of the year. That is absurd. Lockdown started in March. That is like, it's so crazy to me. Like, I don't know. It's, it's insane. Even crazier, think about it. Think about last year around this time was when you and I decided we were going to do the podcast together. And that's when we had like our first Zoom call or like our first Google Hangouts call. And we actually started talking about the podcast oh as a potential You're possibility. Right. Do you do you even remember it? I don't remember it. Do you remember the call? I remember the calls. We were like thinking about what we're going to call it, how it's going to work, what the workflow is going to look like, when we can start producing it and start putting it together, what equipment we're going to need. And like we were planning out everything. And we like we hadn't even asked Luke to help us edit yet. We, were, we didn't even know if we were going to hire an editor. Nothing. That's so weird. I don't remember it at all. I remember like texting you about it because I remember I posted like, hey, does anyone want to start a podcast? And you responded. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is the guy. Like I'm, this is the only person I want to do this it. This would be sick. This would be sick. Exactly. Yeah. But I don't remember the call at Oh, that's so weird. What did we like talk about? Uh, we had a call while you were in your car. You were driving and you called me on Google Hangouts. And I remember I kept cutting in and out because you were on Oh data. my gosh, you're right. And it was like your Bluetooth wasn't working very well. So I couldn't fully hear you. But I remember I was in my room. I just come back from class because I could actually go to class. And <laughs> I was like sitting in my apartment. And I came inside my room and my room was dark. And I got on the phone with you and I was just talking. Wow, I forgot that. I think you're right. I, I think I was coming home from my office. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think I was like, at a sh- wow, oh my gosh, that's so weird. I remember that now, but I don't remember. That's so, you're like blowing my mind right now. I I don't have a good memory, I guess. I, I had zero recollection of that, but now you brought it up, I remember. So what did we do? We, we had that call in November, and then when did we actually record the trailer? I feel like it was much later. We recorded the trailer in like February, and then yeah. we started posting in March. And it was very interesting too, because it was like, we went through like three months of proper planning before we actually sat down and started doing it. And then- I remember that. <laughs> it was so much planning, because we had to figure out the name, and we were so uncertain about everything, and we really wanted to make sure that we didn't step on anyone's toes taking someone else's name. And lo and behold, we ended up doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's in the past now. We're Digital Dive. We're Team Digital Dive, and I'm all for it. I love it. That's so funny. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, we literally spent three months, like, doing hardcore investigation, and we ended up doing the worst possible thing. And here's the thing. We found out, too, on Twitter. And Twitter as a whole is a very interesting platform right now because of fleets. So kind of just diving right in. Smooth. Did you see Twitter fleets? Have you, like, I like, did. I know you've done it. You've done it Twitter fleet. I haven't even done one yet. I've been using it, yeah. How is it? Like, uh, You know what? Stories are everywhere. Instagram has them. Snapchat has them. I don't know if TikTok has them, but YouTube has them. Twitter has them now. The YouTube Instagram story or the YouTube stories, not Instagram stories, sorry. The YouTube stories are actually a great platform to get discovered, supposedly. Like, supposedly a lot of people gain subscribers from the YouTube stories platform. YouTube stories exist? I had no idea. Yeah. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I'll blow up. <laughs> Maybe I'll blow up. Maybe I'll get Well, famous. dude, I posted one four days ago and it already has like 7.5 thousand views and it's literally me just saying i'm not even kidding when i say this it's a five second clip and i'm like hey hope you're doing well so sorry there hasn't been a video yet coming soon and it shows you that you've like if you've gained subscribers from that 
people subscribed after seeing that with literally zero context of what content I make, who I am. It's like kind of weird. So I think that there's a lot, like a huge opportunity with YouTube stories and discovery. So I'm going to actually put some time into it, but it'll be interesting to see if there's a opportunity with Twitter fleets and discovery because I played around with it a little bit. It's very similar to Instagram stories. It feels a little bit less optimized, I guess. I noticed like it's a little more jumpy. Yeah, it is. Instagram stories, like I open it, I close it, it just like works. Like the animations are smooth. It's very smooth. It's very smooth for sure. Right? Whereas Twitter fleets, I don't think it's nearly as smooth. So I'm kind of excited that they did it. But on the other hand, like it just has another thing to post. And I think that what we're seeing right now, and tell me if you're not a fan of this. I know that this kind of like splits half and half. I am not a fan of when people post the same story on all different platforms. Okay. So here's my take on this. I, I'm actually very passionate about this. Well, not really, but I kind of want to be. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I post a lot of the same stuff when it comes to promoing things on the different platforms, but general posts, I don't necessarily do very often. I did on the volley post, some of the volley posts, both on my Snapchat and on my Instagram. My Instagram is at Darshkatani if you guys want to check it out in the show notes down below. Anyway, um, <laughs> I basically posted it on both platforms because I knew that my Snapchat was exclusive to like the very close people in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my Instagram is very open and it's, it's public to literally anyone to follow. So I was like, I want to be able to share the same message. And the picture was and the videos were so good on my Snapchat. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna put it on my Instagram anyway. I don't mind that at all. I think it's more so like, because I feel like Snapchat is like kind of like died out for like public use. Like I feel like mm-hmm. there's not like Snapchat influencers really. 100%. I think it's much more like you connecting with like either like people that you want to like date or like your close friends. Like I think it's more so for that. 100%. I don't really have an issue with that. It's more so like when people post like the same story on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, like where their audience is generally the same. I'm like, yeah, just like take the extra effort and like customize a post. I don't know. I know that uh, it's hard to do that as a creator, but I try not to ever post like the same exact thing on all the story platforms. 100%. And here's the thing with Twitter fleets that I think is very interesting. So I was doing a little bit of research into it because I was really curious about what it was. And it kind of sparked like a little bit of curiosity to me because so basically the reason Instagram took and blatantly copied Snapchat stories and put it onto their platform was a way to spark for more people to actually interact and engage with their timelines and with their followers. Because I feel like a huge thing that a lot of people have discovered and a lot of people have been focused on as of late when it comes to Instagram is polishing everything and making sure everything's perfect before posting it. Whereas it's actually just meant to be a platform where you can post pictures about like different things that's going on in your life. And now this gives you the opportunity to do so. And I think Twitter doing that is even even better because I know a lot of people who don't use Twitter to post, they just use it to read things. And I think that Twitter is one of those platforms where you can really open a discord and conversation about so many different things. And this is such a cool way to do it. Yeah, I totally agree. I think like stories just inherently give you like a different look into people's life. Like I feel like on Instagram, just to draw like the parallel, like Instagram, when someone like posts a picture, like they're trying to like look their best, like maybe it's like a thirst trap or maybe it's just like them like a highlight reel of their life. Like they're showing like they're like the best aspect of their life. Whereas stories are a little more authentic. Like it's still kind of a highlight reel. People like don't want to post like the lows of their life really like for the most part, but Mm -hmm. stories are a little more authentic, a little bit more in the moment on Twitter. I think like when people tweet stuff, there already is that authenticity there much more so than Instagram. I feel like Twitter is not just a highlight reel. Like a lot of it is, but a lot of it's also, and it really depends on your niche. Cause like in the hustle culture niche, like, yeah, it's a highlight reel of them being like, the grind don't stop and like it's like all right like, probably watched netflix for five hours last night but not not like there's nothing wrong with that but just don't say that you're not doing that i don't know stories will add another element of authenticity but the thing with like twitter stories or like twitter fleets i guess is i feel like people don't really necessarily follow their friends on twitter they much more follow like the news public figures and stuff like that so yeah exactly twitter fleets will kind of expose them to like 
the more intimate side of public figures, kind of like Instagram does, and less so like seeing that their friends like making an X sandwich at 10 p.m. or something. I don't know. No, exactly. And that's what I was kind of trying to say when it comes to like a Discord. Like they're they're essentially creating conversation or creating the opportunity now for conversation on Twitter that's besides politics or what's going on in the news, what's going on on Dixie D'Amelio and Charlie D'Amelio with their chef. Like it's literally nothing about that. It's it's literally just creating any conversation you want because I know for a lot of people, posting on Twitter is actually kind of daunting. It's kind of scary, especially if you're not a public figure, especially if you're someone who's a little bit more introverted. Posting is very scary because it's a very public discord and a very public way to present yourself. It's just it's just scary. And like, I feel like this is the greatest way to kind of open that up for everyone. Yeah. Do my favorite person to follow on Twitter by far in the past couple months. And I kind of like had a fangirl moment when they followed me back is this person named Alexis Gay. She is so funny. Like her Twitter one liners are like just a one. And she'll make like these short videos of like basically like what a New Yorker would say, like if they were in San Francisco or just like random stuff, like what you say, like when you're helping your mom with tech help or like just random things like that. And they're so freaking funny. Mm -hmm. And like she's a perfect example of the best Twitter follow. But I understand understand why that would be intimidating for people because like every single post that she posts is like a banger and like maybe you just want to post that like you're getting ice cream at 11 p.m so fleets like lowers the barrier of entry to like being funny i i read something actually the other day that i thought was really cool on instagram one of the biggest things that like drives success is attractiveness like if you're really attractive you'll get a lot of followers Mm -hmm. on twitter one of the biggest drivers of success is if you're witty like if you're funny you'll get a lot of followers because it's not like a picture platform yeah so i'm interested to see if fleets like changes that see the thing i like about twitter and twitter fleet is the fact that anyone can post anything and you don't have to be a public figure to do so. Kind of the same with Instagram though. In Instagram, you can post anything, but it's going to be very polished and it's going to be very, very manicured and like perfect. Yeah. And Instagram stories was a way to prevent that and make and spark more engagement. The same way Twitter is kind of doing it. It's making it so you don't have to be famous to be posting something on Twitter. Like I found for the like for the longest time before quarantine actually hit, I wasn't using Twitter very often. I wasn't using it for, for anything other than to pr- promote what's going on. Now I use Twitter more than I use Instagram because it's one of those places where I can kind of just tweet what my thoughts are and either I'll get a response or no one will response and I'll just be able to say, okay, I put it out there. And I like that. I love Twitter also because let's say I'm in bed at like 2 a.m. and like I'm not like gonna like get on camera, you know, like it's 2 a.m. in my pajamas or something like, but I want to like still interact with people like on Instagram with Instagram stories. Like, yeah, you can like post a text thing, which I do a lot of the time, but like it's much more engaging to like be on video or something. Whereas with Twitter, like I could just tweet something and like write something really quickly, which is really cool. The tech culture on Twitter is also huge. Like the tech community on Twitter, like when something launches is amazing like everyone is like all talking about it and i feel like everyone lately in the past week has been talking a ton about mac os big sur it's been huge the conversation has been vast and there's kind of a lot to say about it the overall ui is huge differences safari is now claiming to be the fastest desktop browser like there's a lot to unpack with mac os big sur i like the transition because you know what we're going to talk about next mac os big sur and our thoughts <laughs> on it that was actually a great transition i'm proud of you that was good <laughs> thanks man. but no as you literally just said like mac os big sur is a fantastic fantastic new update to what Mac was, what Mac had before and the first thing i noticed for one was when i turn on my computer now i get that that chime that you used to get on old macs I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. This like older Macs, I think from 2000, basically the first ever MacBook or the first ever Macs to maybe 2015, all of them had this chime at the beginning of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a shining, like, 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 or I don't even know. Sorry, I just screamed in everyone's ears. (laughs) I don't know. It was just like this, like, just bold statement. Like, okay, my Mac is turned on. Like, yes, this is great. They brought that back. And for some reason, it makes me so nostalgic and so happy. Like, I'm so content with it. Yeah, no, it it, like literally like the nostalgia is real. Exactly. So, okay. So for you, what are some things that you're very excited about with Mac OS Big Sur? Have you played around with it a lot? Have you like seen all the new 
features of it? I have not updated because if you're a content creator, you'll probably relate to this. I never update in the first month because you just never know if there's going to be optimization issues. Like the same way I won't update to the M1 for first generation, I won't update to Big Sur on my work computer because if anything goes wrong with Final Cut or optimization or exporting, like I'm kind of screwed. So I haven't. That is okay. That is very, very fair. To kind of ease your mind a little bit, Final Cut works great. Been using it a lot. It's fantastic. Oh, did you update, man? Oh, yeah. No, I've been updated. I've been updated. That is updated. risky. I'm shocked. I usually actually end up doing the public beta on my main computer. Like, I don't even partition my hard drive. I just put Who it on my main computer and you? use it. Oh I don't gosh. care about the risk unless it affects my workflow. And most of the time it doesn't, but sometimes it does actually make it so Final Cut is now incompatible. A lot of times that ends up happening whenever you do the updates too early. But this time it works perfectly fine. I've had no issues with it. That's cool. Like, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm happy to hear it. I love it. So, okay. So a couple things that are very, very big. So for one, new icons. So iMessage and FaceTime got more depth added to the icons. It's not flat and not an overall flat design anymore. It's There's a little bit of shadows and everything looks a little bit more... I guess 3D, there's more depth to every single icon. Yeah. I initially didn't like it when Apple announced it at WDC, but I actually kind of like it now. Okay. I genuinely really like it. Interesting. So that's one thing for sure. Safari's claiming to become the fastest desktop browser and apparently with a bunch of different tests between different people and different creators. The claim is it is faster. It's slightly faster, but there's just so many Chrome extensions that I just can't get rid of that I'm not, so I'm not going to switch back to Safari. You use Chrome as your main browser? As much as I hate the fact that it's such a power drain, I kind of have to, because I feel like every single thing that I want to use on my computer when it comes to like web browsing is on Chrome. Interesting. Yeah. I, I use Chrome a lot when I use like Google Drive because I found that it's a lot more stable. stable. So much more stable. Yeah, literally jinx. It's a lot more stable with like uploading things. So like when I have to send Luke the files for this episode, if I do it on Safari, half the time, like 50% in, it fails. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I've been sitting on my computer like 20 minutes, like waiting for this to work and now it failed. Yeah, Whereas exactly. if I do it via Chrome, it almost always uploads. It almost always uploads. And on top of that, you can also upload full like folders yes. from your like desktop or whatever, or from Finder, whatever it is. So I feel like that works so, so well. But ultimately for me, my big thing with using Chrome over Safari is Safari actually throttles down your video performance when you're watching movies and TV. So for some reason, Netflix keeps things at full resolution. So if you're watching a movie that was premiered in 4K on Netflix, you're going to see it in 4K if your computer can handle it. Same thing with YouTube. It'll play full 4K videos or 1440p videos, which my computer can handle. So watching something in 1440p for me on Chrome is so much better than it down throttling it to 1080p. I do the same actually. Yeah. Yeah. Like the only reason, the only times I use Chrome is to upload files or to watch like an MKBHD video or another creator that shoots in 4K. I have noticed that the color shift though, I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes like it looks like it adds like a much more red hue to like a video. Like if I watch it on Chrome and then I watch it on Safari, the saturation is a little off. I've actually never noticed that. So I guess I'm actually going to pose that question to our audience. If you are using Safari or Chrome, let us know. Tweet at us. Let us know which which one you guys are using. And then on top of all of that, let us know if you guys noticed the color shift when it comes to the hue, if it's red-hued. Yeah. Because that's actually a very interesting point that I haven't realized and I'm actually going to look into now. Like, I'm going to start seeing if I can notice it while I'm using my computer. Yeah, dude, watch a Marquez video and just, like, see. I don't know if it's, like, the color space is different or something, but I saw someone, like, post about it on Twitter and then I was like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, I noticed that also, which could be an issue if you're, like, a creator and, like, let's say we were using it and Luke sent us a video and we watched it via Chrome. Like, we might be like, oh, like, bump the saturation down a little bit when in reality like it's actually good and it's just like it changes it oh okay that's actually interesting too because i watch everything that luke sends on chrome interesting <laughs> i'm surprised you haven't been like why does that look red man i guess i just haven't noticed it like i have a pretty good eye for what's in focus what's in good color but yeah your focus is always perfect you probably just thought that we were like tan probably just thought we were out like in the sun maybe like i i boost my saturation anyway when it comes to my videos because i shoot in such a natural and neutral profile like yeah me too. i just boost everything anyway so i just ah, maybe i just overdid it this time it's fine yeah i'm okay with it looping back the other main thing with mac os big Sur is like the 
design refinements and control center, it looks a lot more like an iPhone or an iPad. Yeah, so notification center and control center both got big updates this year where they've essentially been redesigned to look a lot more like iOS and specific looking a lot more like an iPad. So it's like an more like an iPad little square rectangle that has this transparent feel to it that makes it feel so much more depth now with the control center and with the notification center. And they kind of just pop out. I'm not the biggest fan of notification center. I'm kind of a fan of the control center though. I kind of like it. Yeah, I understand why they're doing it, especially with the M1. It feels like they're eventually going to maybe not like create like one operating system, but create like more continuity between the two. Like now the fact that iOS apps can run on Mac, it seems like they're kind of merging. Yeah, even the AirPods switching over from between everything super seamlessly. Yeah, the automatic switch of the AirPods is huge and like actually makes a really big difference. I've heard, I haven't personally tried it obviously because I'm not updated yet. Next month, man. Next month, next month. (laughs) It's really cool though. It makes a lot of sense to make them look more alike so people are much more likely to like use iPhone or iPad apps and like not have it be like, oh my gosh, like that looks so different. Like if it all just works together, which is Apple's number one mission, just having it work, then it makes sense to kind of like make them look more similar in terms of design aesthetic. 100%. And here's the thing that I actually have an issue with when it comes to the AirPod situation. So AirPods essentially supposed to be able to transfer seamlessly between all of your devices as you do things. So say I'm listening to music on my Mac and then I start watching a video on my iPhone and I have my AirPods and it's supposed to switch my AirPods to my iPhone so I can watch that video. But the issue I found is whenever I keep my ringer on, it turns out that the AirPods will switch from my Mac to my phone whenever I get a notification. So if I got a Snapchat while I'm watching a video on my laptop, it pauses my video, switches to my iPhone, plays the notification bell, and then goes back to the video. Oh my gosh. That's like a different level. I would take that though over and not like when we were, when Dark and I were just trying to do this episode, I'm using AirPods for it. And it was actually kind of a process to like connect them to the, my computer. And then when I opened up my phone, it connected to my phone. Like, and it like makes it like that chime in your ear, to like let you know, like it's paired to a new device. Yeah. It gets so frustrating. It's like that chime. It's like, oh, like you didn't do what I wanted. So I, I would take that. I think that really is like Apple, like flexing ecosystem. And like, that's one of the main reasons why people use iPhones and Mac devices in general. And like, we've touched on ecosystem a little bit in our podcast, but let us know, like, if you, if you guys like want us to talk about it more, because I feel like there's so much to say about like ecosystem, how that affects the business model, the ecosystems behind different products. Yeah. Like why they make certain decisions, why the, it's not always about the profit, but it's about services. Like we kind of touched on it a little bit in the MagSafe video, but I think that there's so much more to unpack there. Oh, hundred percent. And that might be a good place to leave the episode. I was literally about to say the same thing. I think that's actually a great call to action to you guys. If you think that we should talk a little bit more about ecosystems. We can definitely bring that up in the next episode. So tweet at us. I'm going to implore you right now. Go to the show notes down below at this very moment and just go click our Twitter account and check us out. Just go there. You don't have to follow us. Just tweet at us if you want and let us know exactly what you guys want to hear in the next episode. And you know, also it would be nice to give it a follow. It's, not the, <laughs> it's like not the you don't worst need to follow thing us, in the world. but please follow us. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to follow us, but if you'd like to follow us, that would be, you know, greatly appreciated. And with that all being said as well, I hope you guys have been drinking your cold brews a lot recently. I know it's getting a little cooler outside, so maybe even grabbing a cappuccino on occasion. That's my choice. That's my uh, my poison, but Jacqueline's love for cold brews kind of unparamounted. Dude, it's, it's immense, but I, I saw a picture from Portugal around this time last year, which made me really sad, of a cappuccino that I had the morning before I like was giving a talk, and I was like, damn, that looks good. So It hits. I understand the cappuccino love, man. Uh, I love it too. It hits. It, it does hit. It hits different, man. <laughs> Especially like- Coffee just hits. This coffee just coffee's hits. Coffee's just it amazing. Just hits. Yeah, dude, I had the worst headache like right before we were recording this episode because I didn't have a coffee today. And I like just drank one and I feel 100% better right now. So the coffee headaches are real. The dependency is real, but it tastes really good. So instead of saying we're coffee addicts or coffee dependent, 
We say we're coffee enthusiasts. That's the term I prefer to use. I feel like it's a we're lot more... We're enthused about the coffee. <laughs> exactly. We're more forgiving about it rather than saying we're dependent. I, that's, that's what I've been saying. I love coffee. If I, if I needed to, like, I could go off of it eventually. It would just take, like, a day or two. Like, I've done it in the past, but I just, like, prefer... Like, especially now since we can't go to... This is the last thing I'll say, and then I know we told you guys we're ending the episode, so we'll end it. But uh, <laughs> when I used to, like, need a hit of productivity... I would end up going to a cafe or something like not even to drink coffee, but just to change my environment. Mm-hmm. Now, since I can't do that, I literally like just like have a coffee and like that like gives me like the productivity kick. What I'd recommend actually is maybe pick up some whole beans, some whole coffee beans, put a couple of them in a bowl and just put them next to you while you're working. And then maybe dim the lighting a little bit, make it a little bit more vibey like a cafe and you'll feel like you're there. Dude, you ever eat the coffee beans never have my mom actually told me a story about how she ate a spoonful of coffee grounds once but i've never tried it i tried the emma chamberlain one it's ground coffee beans and like i just like took a spoonful of it and like legit just ate it which i know like sounds like the weirdest thing in the world it actually tasted really good i guess i'm like that addicted to coffee that like pure coffee beans like taste really good Uh, i love it well if emma chamberlain if you're watching this or listening to this (laughs) and you want us to drink more of your coffee please come on and you know talk to our audience about your coffee we love that it's actually really good i was very impressed i need to still try it so um yeah yeah, hit me up on twitter all right uh (laughs) thank you so much Tio Constantine for our incredible intro and outro music. Dude, I haven't said this outro in such a long time. It's been you, man. You've been carrying us. But thank you so much, Adil. <laughs> Literally love that music. I get so hyped when I hear it. Luke, you know we feel about you. You are the absolute best. Thank you so much for being our good friend and editing this podcast and making this sound good. We'll catch you guys all next Monday, 8 a.m. Eastern or 7 a.m. Central. The new episodes come out and we will see you then. Yes, ma'am. Or you'll hear us then. <laughs> 8 a.m. Eastern time every Monday. Cool. That's it. Bye. (laughs) Bye, guys.